0: Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Health Ignited. I'm here with my lovely wife, of course, Dr. Sonia Jensen. How are you today?
1: I'm amazing. We had a great weekend and I'm really excited about our interview.
0: Yeah, I mean, this weekend was all about family and celebrating and And uh, no doubt the the message that's going to be shared today is really about acknowledging the importance of family and and taking care of each other. So we've got a special guest on today. His name is Brandon LaGreca. Uh, Hopefully hopefully I'm pronouncing that properly. He's a licensed acupuncturist in the state of Wisconsin and nationally certified in the practice of oriental medicine. In 2015, Brandon was diagnosed with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He achieved full remission eight months later by following an integrative medicine approach that included immunotherapy without the use of chemotherapy, radiation, or surgery. Brandon is a thought leader in the synthesis of traditional and functional medicine. Having written numerous articles on the subject, he is the author of Cancer and EMF Radiation, How to Protect Yourself from the Silent Carcinogen of Electropollution, available on Amazon, of course, and we'll talk a lot about that book. Um, today. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much for uh, connecting with us and, getting, and giving us a chance and opportunity to share your message with the world.
2: Thank you, both of you. It's good to be on your show.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, one of my first questions that, that I had for you, you've got an interesting story and not many people in the West are exposed to Qigong and Chinese mm-hmm. medicine at 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did that journey start for you?
2: So the earlier interest in in Chinese culture was with martial arts, and I think I might have been maybe eight or 10 when I started with that process. And then right around age 12, I had seen a Bill Moyers PBS special called Healing in the Mind. Hmm. And in that that TV series, um, there was several vignettes of Bill Moyers traveling through China and seeing Chinese Qigong masters. I remember distinctly at this impressionable young age, uh, having Bill interview someone who is getting brain surgery, which you have to be awake for in certain instances. And all of the anesthesia was done through electroacupuncture. This patient had a mild sedative and was talking to a translator back to Bill Moyer. So I saw this at this young age and I thought this was incredible. And seeing the Qigong masters and what they were doing, they kind of looked like modern Jedi, right? So mm-hmm. here I am a Star Wars fan, right? And I, I said, I had to learn more about this. It wasn't just about martial arts. It was about, you know, internally, how do we cultivate that? So recognize that at an early age, I sought out someone in um, in the town that we lived in. And that's, it that was, uh, I never looked back. That's
0: amazing. I mean, to have that, I mean, it's one thing to be exposed to it. It's another thing to actually instill that desire to learn more. Um, And and, yeah, love that you brought up Star Wars, we've got two boys and
2: uh, (laughs) They're all about the force. They're all about the force. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right? And then in our world, you know, in terms of holistic medicine, and we were we're educating patients about uh, just, you know, this life, this vital life force that animates us. So it makes it very real when you can do something like practice Qigong and feel it for yourself. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So I would actually love your perspective on that from uh, Chinese medicine on the force and the vital force. I Mm -hmm. think if we start there and the listeners get an understanding of what that actually means, because I'm sure it has a role in your story and in your healing as it does for all of us. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. So my native court is traditional Chinese medicine and I do acupuncture, you know, every day that I'm in the office and have done so for the last 15 years. And that entire art in science is predicated on that the body itself is animated by this substance called qi. And that's a very difficult word to translate, but we roughly translate it as vital energy. And what the classics of Chinese medicine state is that wherever there is a blockage of this vital energy in the body, this is an area where disease can develop and persist. And that can be as straightforward as an area of pain, We say there's a lack of circulation, or that can be as pronounced and as chronic as something like a cancer diagnosis. And so what we're taught to do as practitioners of Qi in a way is to be able to feel where these blockages are, both just by palpation, feeling the body, but then also looking for other signs, you know, the quality of the pulse, for instance. And by doing so, we can get a read of kind of the patient's overall energy, you know, how vital they are. And from there, use acupuncture as one of many interventions with which to, um, to redirect that energy, reinforce it in some cases, to soften in other cases. But it ultimately comes down to the fact that what is the difference between a body that's alive and a body that is dead? It's this vital energy, you know? It's there one moment and gone the next. One of the best translations of qi that I really do appreciate is breath. It's the idea that as you breathe in, you're bringing energy into your body. and that's interesting to me because then as the body dies, that last breath goes out. And just as a baby's being born, that first breath comes in and it's like, that's the, the setting of life. Mm-hmm. And so we think about breath a lot. We think about the energy of food that we consume, the chi of the food at itself, all these things collectively compose what is our our energy, our energy body, so to speak.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah that's it's a beautiful way of looking at it. i mean Sonya and i are both Kundalini yoga teachers and, and breath oh, is yeah. like a staple mm-hmm. of the practice and it's something that we consciously incorporate into our lives on a, a regular basis so entering into this world of you know of energy medicine and mm-hmm. vitality and chi and prana and, and breath and and mm-hmm. just that life force how is it that that this isn't talked about uh, enough i mean you chose a different approach to how you healed your body, and yet it's a staple for, you know, just uh, invigorating life into a human being. You know, yeah. how important is it to you that patients understand this piece of the puzzle?
2: I think it's it's critical for one very important reason. You know, we have the mindset in the West of being very disease-focused. You know, you can get the diagnosis of a disease and you may be able to ameliorate the symptoms of that disease or maybe the the disease itself Um, but that's a very different perspective and mindset that is health focused as in what are all the things that generate health in the body so a good example of that is i might have a patient that comes to me with a cancer diagnosis and they are starting rightfully to ask questions what can you do for me integratively with what my oncologist is recommending And, and an excellent answer to that question is the oncologist is the disease expert. I'm going to let them worry about that. I want to be your health expert. And I want to, I want to um, apply my knowledge and my wisdom into the field to treating the body, the person itself. So how this plays out clinically is I may have patient one, two, and three come into me with all the same symptoms. Let's say they all have chronic headaches. But each one of those people has a very different presentation. So we have to look. It's not like one pill for one ill as they say in Western medicine. It's about customizing and understanding the story of that person. Who, what is the context of their health that, as they've walked in to see me? And what are all the different interventions that I can bring to the table? And like like stacking a layer cake, how can we integrate diet and lifestyle and sleep and all these different things and treat the individual as opposed to the chronic headache or migraine in this case? So it is it is critical to make that distinction, but of course that 's not something we are used to or taught to think about in the west and we've had this idea that you know we go to a doctor like you would take your car to a mechanic and you have a very specific problem, and there 's a very specific fix, and that 's it and then we can hopefully walk away and not have to change anything in our life, but as we know, you know all health. Uh, our, our quest for greater health requires change on the, on the part of the individual. So, you know, our role is then to educate them and then provide some of these simple natural treatments to, and change their mindset along the way to take uh, ownership of their health mm-hmm. and responsibility.
1: Yeah, it really is. A, it's a paradigm shift. And it's a relationship shift to that responsibility piece that you just spoke to of taking that responsibility and looking in the mirror of how we're contributing to um, what's going on in our life and what the external factors are doing as well to create that perfect storm within the body that starts to manifest itself. Yeah. And sorry, go ahead.
2: No, I just say, and so, and that is, that's really the key is not to just be the health expert for that patient that's in front of me, but to convince them that Mm -hmm. they need that, that they, Mm -hmm. uh, that they have to take that leadership role in their own health and, and work together.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So, I mean, that's a perfect segue into your own story. I mean, you're obviously working with cancer patients up until uh, this point in 2015. Can you walk us through the realization of this showing up in your own life, you know, having worked with so many people already. What what did yeah. that mean for you? How did that define you in that in that time?
2: Yeah. So you know, I'm, I'm, I live and work out here in the country of Southeast Wisconsin, and so I don't really specialize in anything. I treat whatever comes my way. And so I would always have a few cancer patients at any one time, but it wasn't necessarily the focus of my practice, um, seeing just about everything, and mostly pain. Mm-hmm. That's what acupunctures were thought of. Uh, but all that came um, to a whole new realization in 2015 when uh, I was starting to having episodes of severe abdominal pain. And um, one thing led to another and finally said, this isn't getting better. I need to go to the ER one night during a particularly bad episode. And um, that's when I'd gotten a CT scan. The pain was being caused by a small bowel obstruction. And that small bowel obstruction was being cut off by lymph tumors. And I had uh, several very large lymph tumors in my abdomen. One of them, I think, was about four inches. Um, so they were pretty massive at that point. Um, and so Boy, everything got real in that moment. (laughs) And um, yeah, so it's interesting. And I think back at that time when I was first diagnosed, when that emergency room doctor, you know, said those words to me that we think you have lymphoma. My wife was with me at the time. Our daughter was home with a a friend that we called just to come over. And I had two like colliding thoughts at the same moment. Um, You know, one of them is, how could this possibly have happened? you know, here I am trying at least to live a model lifestyle. Um, I would have probably told you with with the exception of these episodes of pain I was having, that I was probably in the best shape of my life. I was really eating well and sleeping well and motivated in my clinic and so on. Um, so there's this one crashing thought, well, how can this possibly have happened? You know, here I am trying to be this model of health. But then the second thought, thankfully, that hit that one and kind of superseded it almost immediately, frankly, was I can handle this. That was the first real main positive thought that just came. And it said, I don't know what's going on. I know why this has happened to me, but I have a good network of friends and colleagues. I'll I'll figure this out. Um, and, 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 like a math equation, I just thought I had to put in the right variables and we can and I can get somewhere with this and, and Then, as I went through the course of that year figuring out what that integrative protocol would look like, um, it became very apparent to me that this is now part of my life. This is my mission. You know, I'm once a cancer patient, always a cancer patient in that I would dedicate myself not just in clinic, but just in my writing career um, to help educate patients about what are all these options that are open to you and to have a more holistic mindset. So, you know, at some point, I guess I just realized that this was – Uh, you know, how I would now relate to the world differently as a cancer patient. And so the wounded healer archetype, so to speak, and to be able to share with others and teach in the process and and enhance podcasts like this. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So I'm curious during that time when you had those colliding moments, because um, there may have been many of those moments as you're going through your journey and your healing, did you come to realizations um, of, your life leading up to that moment um, to answer that question of like, how could this have happened? And, you know, I'm a believer that everything happens for a reason and it's almost like the, the 10 years before um, or the time that you were a practitioner, it's like you're in training for that moment to recognize that I can do this. Like I can Mm -hmm. handle this, but did you have any realizations of like, other moments or other things in your life, stresses that may have contributed to that environment in your body.
2: Yeah, um, that's very insightful on your part. And I think that's very true. Um, I'll tell you two dominant ones that came to the surface. And just to kind of back up a little bit, I I grew up in North New Jersey, Northeast New Jersey. I mean, pretty much outside of New York City within the suburban sprawl of that. And um, I think it is absolutely critical, as you say, to, you know, what's your own narrative? What's the story that has led up to this moment? And so one of the things that I did pretty early on is I started a line of self-inquiry. And 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 that has um, That has to this day, I've still asked cancer patient, a new patient to me, some of these same questions of self-inquiry. And, and one of them is, has there, any been a, has there ever been a time in my life, in your life, if I'm looking at a patient, has there ever been a time in your life where you didn't want to be here anymore? And if so, go back and heal that moment. And so uh, one of the things I did was just kind of look back at what were some of the early traumas in my life growing up and how did that set me up emotionally, spiritually to say, wow, that was too much. I want to be, I want to disengage from from life in the world. Um, not to say that those things are directly causing cancer, but they do create these little seeds, at least in my belief, these little seeds within you of... Um, areas of weakness in the body, you know, areas that I think other disease factors can kind of lob onto, you know, they create this little weak link. And so I did a little journaling on that. I, I, um, I wrote a little bit of that out and just kind of what is my story and what are the things that have caused some of those kind of psychospiritual traumas in my life and to go back and to heal them as best that I can. And so I underwent a process of that. The second one, which to me, I think, is really the story of cancer in a nutshell. I have, in some ways, a very simplistic view of cancer. People ask me, what's the cause of cancer? My answer is carcinogens. That's it. I mean, and, and that's kind of a, it sounds like a cop-out answer, right? You know, the cause of cancer <laughs> is, is something that causes cancer. But to me, I think it, it's, it really helps kind of um, laser beam focus from it's this genetic condition and things have gone around. Well, sure, I mean, all that's true. I mean, cancer is a, a breakdown in genetics as healthy genetic uh, you know, replication in our body, but what is actually causing that on an epigenetic level is what we call a carcinogen. And so to me, the entire story of cancer really um, as a global phenomenon is the story of environmental medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the contributing environmental factors that are putting pressure on our genetics, on putting pressure on our just our general well being with which to cause this disharmony. And so then again, going back into my, you know, my growing up years in in New Jersey and such, I identified several very potent carcinogenic exposures um, that I feel like are the main, at least for me, underlying triggers for having lymphoma. And I think about the story of lymphoma. What is lymphoma, right? Where's your lymph? You know, the lymph is like the, the the garbage disposal of the body, taking things that you don't need and kind of filtering them out through the liver, through the kidneys, right? But they're the, they're the first line of capturing all of these different toxins or toxicants that we are exposed to and eliminating from the system. And my system got gunked up. And so for, that, for me, that's, that said that I was exposed to a whole host of things and, and we can get into the specifics if you wish. Um, and my body did not fare very well with that. And I figured out reasons why that could be even along and during that year in that journey. So, you know, doing a little bit digging, I figured out that this environmental medicine piece is huge. And I thought this was gonna be one of the main areas that I wanted to, to focus on. You know, the EMF thing is just one of many you know mm-hmm. it's funny because people ask you know you wrote this book about emf do you feel like that's like the cause of your cancer and i said no i don't have a bone to pick necessarily with emf it's just one problem of many and i want people to become aware of this problem particularly cancer patients to know that this is something that they can do um to you know empower their health so those are the two yeah. big factors along that year that i really came to
0: yeah i think that that can't be stated enough for people just just it's it's a we just talk, call it the health timeline you know what's been showing mm-hmm. up over, over your entire life from childhood to now that has contributed to, you or know, even
1: beyond, like, or beyond the generational stuff. Totally.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you're in this, you're in this defining moment, you have this uh, awareness about your lymphatics um, you start, you know, all these thoughts start going through your head the early tra- traumas, the carcinogen exposure, yeah. all that stuff. At some point you made a decision that there's this Western approach, and then there's everything you know, plus here's an opportunity to dig in a little bit more and discover more about myself. Um, was it like a constant you know, discussion in your head? Maybe I'll go that route. Maybe I'll incorporate a little bit of both. But I imagine this is a tipping point for many people when they come to this realization. Can you walk us through that that experience for you? And how yeah, you know, decisions?
2: and it's gonna be different from person to person. And I think the most important thing Take away before I even get into my own decision process, again, let's say I have a cancer patient in front of me first time I'm seeing them, is I really want them to do whatever they can put their heart behind. You know, whatever they 100% believe is good for them, I don't want them waffling. If they want to go full-on 100% high-dose chemotherapy radiation and they just want me to kind of piggyback off of that, I'm on their team. Mm -hmm. I am not going to dissuade them from that one bit. Um, If they want to completely opt out of the Western medical approach entirely and just look at holistic options, I will tell them that I'm not an oncologist. I am not treating cancer. I'm treating you as an individual, but I'll be happy to support you as best that I possibly can. And the reason why I think that is key is because all of this is, to me is an exercise in self-empowerment. You know, you have been brought to whatever this disease process is for a reason. And, and, you know, healing is different than curing, right? Curing is elimination of symptoms. Healing is being a profoundly different person on the other side of whatever that process is. And that process may not even result in the, amelioration of symptoms, or it could even, the cessation of your life. But you could still, even on your deathbed, choose to be healed um, if you have a profound mindset shift in, in why this has occurred to you and what you can do about it. So I want my patient, more than anything else, to say, I am empowered and this is the course that I want to take. It's the single most important thing to me. Now, having said that, when I was placed in that position, I felt very strongly that I wanted to do things my own way. Now, largely that's because I obviously have a history with holistic medicine. I have a huge network that I had developed in the last 10 years at that point in the area that I worked. And I felt like I would, I would regret not trying. And I knew that the chemotherapy would be there if I ever needed it, whether later in that year or the following year or whenever even to this day, you know, and I don't wanna sound cavalier like I've got it figured out, but I, at some point I figured that option always exists. I realized it's a very toxic option, um, but if I need it, it's there and I'm grateful for it. And so to me it was, okay, what do I really feel good about? Well, my oncologist, bless his heart, he did offer the immunotherapy as one option to help lower tumor burden. And I said, great, let me look at it, researched it, side effects are very low to minimal, I can go along with that. I can piggyback off of that with all sorts of immune support, detoxification, you name it. And, and to his credit, he let me do it. You know, his, his recommendation at that point, because I had such a, a you know, high tumor burden was to, to hit me with the highest dose chemotherapy as, as soon as possible to shrink tumors just because I was in danger of another bowel obstruction. We need to get surgery, resection, the whole nine yards. Um, but again, I, was, I told him, I said, let me handle that. I can fast for a month if I have to, <laughs> a liquid diet. I will not, I promise you I'll not get back in the hospital with another bowel obstruction. Just give me some time to figure this out and um he was okay with it you know and he's he's a great guy that way and so that's exactly what i did i just did the immunotherapy alone and then at some point i started plugging in my whole integrative protocol and lo and behold within eight months um i had a clean pet scan i was fully in remission so it's amazing and, and grateful i had a I actually just had a follow-up scan early this year at the kind of around the five-year mark just to kind of my curiosity and the my CT scan was clear, so you know I I continue to do a lot of the same therapies that I researched that year. I continue to take very good care of my health. Not that I didn't before, but you know again, the, one of the one of the things I I really appreciate about holistic therapies is you know, it's not necessarily that they're non toxic, but they generally are very safe. Right, you can continue doing them. You can continue taking herbs and doing detoxification. You can do that day in and day out for the rest of your life if you need to. So I hold these therapies close to me, and I continue to do them.
1: Mm-hmm. And what like validation in the path that you chose in healing others or helping support others' healings too to go move through it yourself
2: mm-hmm. and
1: the other element that i 'd love for you to speak about, and many of your patients probably have to navigate this too is their families I mean at yeah. that time, your daughter would have been three, I imagine because yep. she 's eight now, and you have your wife and so did you have that full support from your partner and from your family? Because, you know, sometimes you find you have your your patient and they're they may be, you know, very much in line with integrative medicine and want to go down this path. But then the fear of others around mm-hmm. them of losing that person can maybe sway them or change their thought process. Yeah.
2: Thankfully, my close family was very supportive of what I was doing. And I think it's because they knew me and they knew that I would probably go that route anyway. In retrospect, I also think there was this little bit of comfort knowing that I was still going to an oncologist and getting some form of oncology care, you know, Um, and that that option, that door was open for more treatment mm-hmm. if needed. And frankly, for everybody else beyond my inner circle of friends and family, they were on a need to know basis. As, as far as you know, I had let them think in their head, whatever they wanted to, as far as they were concerned, you know, I was going to an oncologist and just getting treatment. And I told them, of course, that I would be doing other things. But, you know, people hear what they want to hear. So from that perspective, yeah, I was just getting the regular old standard of care. And I didn't elaborate further, and just kept everybody you know, on a need to know basis. And I think that's probably wise. People will support you in every, any way that they are emotionally capable of. Frankly, it's a big scary diagnosis. And so when people hear that, some people don't even have the emotional bandwidth with which to relate to that. Um, but thankfully, I had a really good network of friends and family. My patients, you know, you probably can't see it, but above me, I have just hanging to this day, all of the, the cards that I got, the get well cards from all my patients that I keep around to remind me. And so, um, yeah, it's one of those things that, I'll tilt it up for a second, if you can see. Oh, beautiful! Oh, yeah, <laughs> Forming the corner in a V, and all the way back that wall in that way. So, that's amazing. Uh, I, very important. I mean, you have to have a good community of people that support you. I, I respect the the choice of people who choose to really be very um, quiet in their process. I think that's fine. Do what you need to do, but. Um, you know, certainly the more support you can get, I think the better. Um, and, and to not be shy. People can be very uh, closed off and, and maybe don't want to bother anyone else. But, um, you know, people are also very willing to help once you once you reach out and open yourself up to that. And I think um, very important to, to heal as a community too. Cancer is a community disease. I mean, we're all in this one together, right? We're all contributing towards cancer and we can all help ourselves to um, to heal it. So... Mm. Yeah, pretty. Well, I love important. that you
0: just spoke to that because there's a there's a level of humility that that you, you know, knowingly or or maybe just let show up for you that I think is so important because as a physician, you know, working with patients, it's easy to go I got this all sorted out. I don't need any help, you know. But to be mm-hmm. able to just accept, move into acceptance and appreciate that level of humility and I love that you've got those cards above you to just remind you <laughs> of humility because that's a big part of that healing process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah beautiful. I want to talk a, a little bit about, okay, so you're, you're, you're training Oriental Chinese medicine. Yeah. What, what is a way to understand cancer growth lymphoma um, in the realm of Chinese diagnosis? Because it's a fascinating more systems approach to looking at how illness shows up in the body. Um, I'd love to talk about that. And then, and then the Chinese medicine perspective
2: of EMF, like, if you can bridge those worlds. <laughs> the latter is a tricky one. The former yeah. <laughs> a little bit easier to talk about. Um, so, you know, there are different theories about cancer in terms of Chinese medicine. And ultimately we we'll look at it like we look at any disease, that there's a breakdown in, in the you know the harmony of the body and, and this um, congealing or stagnation of chi of energy in the body, and that's what gives rise to a tumor in this sense. And I think why there are maybe in some ways competing theories is because there are different kinds of cancer presentation. You clearly have what we would call um, you know like a heat toxicity kind of tumor. Um, that would be something that is a solid mass tumor that has really developed in the context of someone who is very uh, polluted in a way, right? Uh, the, the blood is toxic, and then it gives rise to this toxic little nest in the body that continues to grow. Then there's this cold stagnation we talk about in Chinese medicine. And to me, I think a good example of that would be someone who has a very clearly emotionally tied kind of pathology. I'll give you an example of that. I had a woman that came into me with a cervical cancer diagnosis that developed, at least the diagnosis came maybe a year or two after her son died tragically in a car accident. And to me, at least, it seemed, um, looking at her story and how this developed, that, you know, I'm sure a part of her, frankly, as a parent, you, you both will understand that. I'm sure a part of her died that day that her son died you know, and to think of now this metaphor of the cervix, literally the area with which she gave birth to this person in the world now developed this cancer, which of which she ultimately succumbed to. Um, I don't think that is insignificant. Um, And so that to me, looking at that, or maybe a breast cancer diagnosis um, in an area over for a woman that, you know, where there's a lot of emotions tied up. Um, Those to me are like this kind of cold stagnation where we need to bring warmth and, and, and joy back to the individual. I think both of those are true. So I think in some ways you can have elements of both of those within a cancer diagnosis. So that's kind of how the Chinese might look at it within their worldview. And ultimately, you know, all disease in Chinese medicine really comes back to the same two principles. We have an imbalance of the seven emotions we say within the body, which as we discussed, kind of give rise to the susceptibility. And then we have these external pathogenic factors. And where those two meet is the art form of medicine. You know, there's these internal factors out of balance, the external, and then they collide, and then within that is where these diseases develop. So to me, that could be that can be an autoimmune disease case. You know, that can be a heart disease case. It's it's always a combination of that yin and yang at work mm. at all times within them. So that's kind of how we think about it, a, at least a little bit in Chinese medicine. Um, now the EMF thing is is an interesting story because obviously in the classics of Chinese medicine, we're not dealing with electrification or radio frequency waves or any of that kind of stuff. So we really don't know. Um, we know how those things affect the body. We can, in some ways, perceive imbalances from them, but we don't necessarily have a clear correlate um, within the, the ancient language of traditional Chinese medicine, per se. So, mm-hmm. a little hard yeah, to a, describe this. It. <laughs> it's an
0: interesting sort of thought experiment i think mm-hmm. too and you know, i think you know some of the stuff that you shared in the beginning about vitalism and the flow of chi and prana it's like there's an, an a coherent frequency within the body and then discoherence could be you know negative thoughts to to you know i, I want to ask you about 5g later and what you think about that but yeah. like all these emergent frequencies that were never there in the, in the early child uh, Chinese teachings thousands of years ago. So it's an, I think it's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why we wanted to ask it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sonny's got some questions too for you.
1: Well, I just think that it's, it's so important because um, it's such a big part of our world now, and especially the world of our children and, yes. you know, ancient times, even with Ayurvedic medicine and Chinese medicine, there maybe wasn't an understanding of that. However, when you look at these ancient medicines, somehow they are still able to articulate the modern state and i think like what nick was saying with like even the meridian system or even in like the constitutions in ayurvedic medicine it's that disruption right so there's this thing in our environment that our bodies are not used to being around and is there is is there going to be this evolutionary process that now allows us to adapt adapt to this new information Mm -hmm. that the body is receiving so i'd love to hear your thoughts around that and yeah yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. So, okay. So now as we enter into this realm, and, and if you permit me the the use of Western terminology and Western science, and then I can give you a bit better answer. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're electromagnetic beings. I mean, that's very clear. Uh, Harold Saxton Burr was a Yale professor in 1936, was the first person to take a voltmeter and apply it to the human body and realize that we are We're basically electrical beings. And in his research, what gave birth to bioelectronics as a field, same field that gives us the pacemaker, for instance. So we know that the brain emits a pretty potent electromagnetic field. We can measure that with an EEG. The heart, an even greater one, and we can measure that with an EKG. So we have these electromagnetic fields that extend beyond our body that can be be measured by very sensitive equipment, right? So there's no doubt. Um, within conventional science that we're electromagnetic beings. And furthermore, we can then even extrapolate that to say that the meridians of the body as we know them in Chinese medicine or the energy centers as we think of in Ayurvedic medicine are electromagnetic pulses or or uh, flows you know, within the body itself. And so now borrowing that language, I can then tell you that for sure there is some aspect of electrification As we've known it for the last hundred plus years and then now adding on to microwave radio frequency radiation that is causing a disruption in our electrical fields plain and simple and the patients that i treat that have symptoms that they attribute to electromagnetic fields there's a way that in some ways i can just use acupuncture to discharge that excess you know built up almost like static energy in the body to be clear, acupuncture is not the only thing that can do that. Uh, a bath in Epsom salts will will do that. Swimming in the ocean will most definitely do that. Walking barefoot on the earth will most certainly do that. Anything that discharges that electromagnetic um, buildup in the body, and this comes with the with the knowledge that you know we have evolved as a species. Um, On the surface of the planet where it is predominantly negatively charged. And then way up in the ionosphere, you know, is where it's more positively charged and the differential between the two is why we have lightning strikes. Um, So we, we, it's like there is a big battery and we're down here in the negative charge pole. And then, of course, what are we surrounded with? electrical devices that emit a lot of positive ions. And so we build up a lot of positive ions, and we can discharge those by walking barefoot on the planet like we evolved to do. And then we can incorporate this negative um, electrical charge back into our body um, to quench free radicals, for instance. And then that to me is one of several mechanisms um, behind the whole EMF story. So for sure, we can do it with acupuncture. Uh, we can certainly do it with a really good clean diet. And we, we can imbue the, the kind of the vitalistic forces from nature into our body to help heal. I mean, all those things are, are pretty important. But exactly as you say, though, Sonia, I mean, there's that, that kind of, um, you know, we've evolved one way and now we're encountering an environmental flux another way and to try to rectify those two opposites.
1: hmm yeah. So how would you say it's linked then to cancer and that, that disruption that's happened in the body? And I know um, we were looking at your website earlier and you have a blog about water and um, the stages of water. And we all know that even in that, there's a frequency and sound and electromagnetic frequency. Like all of that is going to have an effect on it. So if you can maybe like just create a story around EMF and like how that could have that contributing factor in the cancer diagnosis.
2: Yeah. So here, I'm going to be, I'm really going to be true to the science. And by that, I mean we have really good evidence in terms of mechanisms behind how this works. you know, the st- more to, to your question, the story of it, I think, is is very straightforward. And that is, uh, again, we are encountering something that our body has, has never done before, you know, has never encountered before. And so that is bound to have some implications. And maybe we can evolve around that, or maybe we can't. But in terms of the actual science, I mean, if we really look at the mechanisms, I mean, there are several uh, very clear mechanisms behind how electromagnetic, non-native electromagnetic fields are causing um, an imbalance. And it's really important that I use that word non-native because we are immersed in a native electromagnetic field, which is that of the planet itself. Mm -hmm. The difference is the magnetic field of the earth itself is what we call a static or a DC, direct current field. The electromagnetic fields that are non-native, which are means artificial or people have made them tend to be alternating current fields. And that altering makes a massive difference. Basically, if you look at a sine wave, it's this kind of up and down or in and out pulsing of effect. So once we realize that there is a vast difference between what's a direct current field and an alternating current field, that's the start of our conversation. And now we have to add one more layer into it, which is then what is the frequency? How, what is the actual oscillation of that field over time that we're being exposed to? And the reason why I say that is because not all pulsed fields are bad. For instance, we have a technology that many practitioners use in their in their clinic called pulsed electromagnetic field therapy. And these are units that are tuned to a very specific frequency that can do things like speed up the healing of a fracture, for instance, or heal soft tissue energy uh, injury. I mean, so we know that um, pulse electromagnetic fields could have a, a potential to be beneficial, but that's not the fields that we we're being exposed to. The vast majority of these non-native uh, alternating current fields are at frequency ranges that are to the best of our knowledge, really are causing DNA damage. And that is what the ultimate conclusion of my book was, is that we have uh, multiple corroborating lines of evidence that very clearly suggest that being exposed to these non-native fields directly cause DNA damage. And we know that experimentally. And we've known that since the 90s because you can take a test tube and have human cells in there and expose it to the same radiation that comes out of your cell phone. And we can cause those blood cells to break apart and then measure in that test tube the presence of what are called micronuclei. So little fragments of DNA that would not be there unless there was some carcinogenic exposure. So to me, it's as crystal clear as it can be. Um, and, and again, that's just one mechanism of many. We know directly that it's causing DNA breaks um, and it's just a question of how long you're exposed to something. We have epidemiological studies that back that up. We have mechanistic studies that show us how that possibly can happen. We have animal studies that show how this can happen within a couple years time with, with experiments animals. So to me, it seems like the weight of the evidence is pretty clear. You know, we have this narrative like you suggested, Sonia, of how we are trying to evolve alongside these things. But then we have all this science that says look, something's up, you know, there's a lot more to the story than just um, it's assumed safe, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one of the big points I make in the book, too, is my feeling is a lot of this is going down the same way that cigarette smoking went down, you know, that we took cigarette smoking from an ad in a magazine that four out of five doctors recommend this brand of cigarettes to now it is completely self-evident that tobacco smoke is carcinogenic okay the only reason why we're able to do that at this point in time as we are talking is because we are on the other side of that research curve you know it it is now completely self-evident that tobacco smoke is carcinogenic my concern is that we're on the the ascending of that research Mm -hmm. curve when it comes to emf but it's happening in exactly the same way let's just throw it out there we're all lab rats on this grand experiment and and then you know basically we'll start accumulating evidence you know it took us decades of epidemiological evidence to really put lung cancer and cigarettes in the same field. It's gonna be the same thing I believe with cell phones and brain cancer, where it's gonna take years. We're starting to see inklings of it. you know, When you get beyond 10 years of epidemiological evidence, it starts to show itself. But then when it does, you know, we're gonna see more and more and we're gonna connect the dots. And that's where I think the story is going hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that was a great description of, of merging these, you know, mm-hmm. hard to understand, you know, complexities and then putting it into a real life um, situation. So on that sort of train of thought, obviously, there's a ton of research that you put into your book and, and mm-hmm. coming to some of these conclusions that that are not just yours, but they're they're mirrored with, say, Martin Paul's work and some yes. other people that have massively dove into this. Yep. Um, extreme amount of science and, and NRF2 yep. pathways and nitric yep. oxide and synthetase and all, all those things that we have these natural mechanisms to dealing with uh, our environment. So how does one become more resilient? Because there's, we are in this ascending curve. Yep. We're dealing with these things. How do, how do we strengthen our systems so that we can have some sort of adaptation before we get to the other side?
2: Excellent question. In fact, it's the right question. It's the one. It's the one that matters the most in this in this mm-hmm, uh, totally. in this topic. Um, so obviously, limit your exposure. Single best thing you can do is just avoidance if you can, and that can be as simple as um, if you choose to have wireless in your house. Now we don't in our home. We have Ethernet cables running everywhere. But if you choose to use wireless, at least for goodness' sake, shut it off at night while you're sleeping. That could be as simple as plugging it into a timer. And so you could get a couple bucks, get a timer at the hardware store, plug it in and then it shuts off whenever your bedtime is and it can turn back on again when you wake up in the morning. Avoiding it at least for those hours when your body is recuperating, healing uh, while you sleep. Or maybe choosing not to have your cell phone on when you are walking around within your pocket, putting it in in airplane mode. And then whenever you get to your destination, maybe taking it off and checking your messages as opposed to constantly having it on all the time. Another good example of that. It could be as simple as, um, let's say you have a reading lamp, you know, by your chair, by your bed, not having it so close to your head because I can take a gauss meter and I can hold it up to that lamp and show you exactly at what distance the Mm. electromagnetic field extends from that, you know, that light. And so a rule of thumb there is if you can reach it, it's probably too close. Same thing goes with alarm clocks. You know, you don't want anywhere that you can reach it. It usually means it's probably too close. And we can, you can document that with with the appropriate meters. So avoidance is is obviously key, as much as you can. And all the, you know, all all, some of us who are living in urban areas, you know, we've got cell phone towers all around us. So it can be tricky. But, you know, avoid the exposures that you have control over. And that's probably the best place to start. Uh, Beyond that, if there are exposures that you are unable to remove yourself from, you can, in some instances, try to shield yourself from that. And there are different kinds of products and such that you can buy that can put a little bit of a barrier between you and whatever that electromagnetic field is. Helpful. It's not great, but it's something you can do. And then um, uh, another strategy is to then just like you say, Nick, it's just build yourself up. How do I become more resilient in the face of whatever this challenge is? And so for that, we go back to all the same things, which is just healthy diet and lifestyle, um, getting enough sleep, But I do have some very specific recommendations. So for people who do feel like they're having issues with electromagnetic fields, maybe they travel a lot, they're on planes, they're constantly getting bombarded in hotels, Um, there are some things that I found within the research literature that could potentially help. And some of this is more more well documented than others, some of it's more speculative on my part, but I think it's a helpful place to start, at least to have the conversation. Um, So one of those things is, you mentioned Martin Paul's work, Martin Paul, um, who's a researcher who really has posited that um, electromagnetic fields can cause an increase of tissue calcium through what are called voltage-gated calcium channels. And so if that is true, and that there's an influx of calcium that's coming from exposure to these fields, we can in some ways counteract that by uh, magnesium uh, intake. And uh, magnesium is basically our our natural calcium channel blocker to the body. And so, you know, it's gonna vary from person depending on what, what their diet, but you can generally aim for anywhere from two to 400 milligrams of magnesium. I think most of the magnesium salts will probably get you there. Uh, magnesium three I believe has probably a little bit better penetration in terms of the blood brain barrier. And so that may have some more protection on the nervous system, which is pretty key because that's where I think a lot of EMF is exerting its influence. Um, Of course, there's always, again, like magnesium salts in a bath, Epsom salts, for instance, um, would also be very helpful. So increasing, or I should say, uh, optimizing magnesium in the body would be a a very good resilience building strategy. Um, Another one from the herbal world that I I really value, and um, again, this is a little bit more speculation on my part, but as an herbalist, I feel really comfortable recommending this is uh, ginkgo. Mm. And for a very interesting reason, uh, ging- very uh, several very large, very old ginkgo trees were the, were the only real species to survive the nuclear fallout in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm. And so there's something about these trees. They are, I mean, they've been around since the time of the dinosaurs. Um, and there's something about how they can protect themselves. I mean, they have encountered Unknown, I mean, tons of tons of stresses over the the millennia. And I think those effects, they they can be imbued in us when we take um, ginkgo as an herb. Um, And so some of the science is supporting that in terms of the, the very the mechanistically how ginkgo can can uh, help us um, cope with stress, environmental stress. So it's one of those things that um, if you're going to be exposed to it, let's say you're going to get an airplane, you know, um, you can take some ginkgo. I mean, it certainly has a lot of other benefits. It's relatively safe for the most part. I mean, you know, check with your practitioner. But um, ginkgo is would be on the top of my list as well. <laughs>
0: I haven't heard that one actually. Yeah. Where do you do you recommend hydrogen? supplementation and things like that as well or
2: yeah so it's funny you should mention that i just got an email this morning from a patient of mine who said look at this research with uh, molecular hydrogen and i've been a little bit tuned into it but not so much i think i know dr mccullough speaks a little bit more about it that's kind of one of the things he's he's promoting um that there's a massive tie-in with that and and water and yeah you know, electrically how our bodies operate. So I'm um, I'm supportive of it. I think it's probably, I think um, I think it's one of those things that could could certainly be a, a really key strategy. I haven't done as much uh, personal experimentation or using it with patients, but um, I well, think that could be in the list.
0: Yeah, and it's one of those things that's sort of hard to measure too, right? I mean, unless yeah, you've got the subtle. Gauss meter. Um, right. I want to show you this, is this going to help us? So, organ generator? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure is the short answer. <laughs> It looks cool on the desk, though. So it does. Maybe- <laughs>
1: and my son got it for um, his birthday, and yeah. So I think he feels and it believes that it works. So I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna let him. Yeah. So <laughs> right, yeah. I, I have
2: Phone I have case. a couple responses to it. Is <laughs> so there's a lot of subtle energy devices like that. There's there's many and. Um, Uh, I get asked about them quite often. And my my answer is always, I don't know. Uh, What I can tell you is there's nothing that's occurring from those types of devices and such that I could measure in terms of my devices, in terms of the physics of it, right? You know, I'm looking at this uh, uber scientific, I have a radio frequency meter and I could put that maybe in front of it or around it. And it doesn't necessarily change that measurement. Mm -hmm. Does that mean it's not helping me on other subtle energy ways in terms of how my body is responding? Um, I would say that th- that's totally up for discussion. Um, one of the uh, fields that i uh, I think is probably or one of the gentlemen, I think has got this really figured out is um, in the field of biogeometry, um, which was, you know, systematized by an Egyptian gentleman. um, And I've read a little bit of his work, and he's got some interesting case studies behind um, how he uses certain what are called biogeometric signatures to help with people coping with EMF stress. So I think there's a lot more that we need to figure out there. Ultimately, I think it's possible. I think there's there's definitely an inroad there. Um, but can I say for this individual device or that one or this one, you know, how they're working? Yeah, it's kind of hard to say. And there's hundreds of them out there now, for sure. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Do you,
0: I I, got, I know we got to respect your time here. We're almost uh, at the top of the, the hour here. But I do want to... Ask: Do you think that there's a chance that we may there may be a reemergence of Tesla-type energy, Nikola Tesla? Do you I think sure that's? I hope so. <laughs> I, I hope that's what's on the other side because there's definitely some biosymmetry. I think that would show up if if we moved our electronics in that in that way.
2: I, I think it. I think it's completely possible that we can harm. If, in other words. I don't know if it's one of these things where it's either or. I think there's absolutely a way that we Mm. could probably develop technology that is harmonious with biological life and not destructive of it. Absolutely. I think that's very possible. In some ways, we're kind of in an evolutionary bottleneck right now. You know, it's this ramp up of technology and industrial forces. And we're at this point right now where we really got to be clear about what our future looks like. You know, if we go on with the environmental degradation, we're going to go from, you know, currently it's one out of three people get a cancer diagnosis in their lifetime to likely it'll be one in two in our lifetime, Mm -hmm. one out of every two people. I mean, to me, that shows a very profound breakdown in, uh, in our ecology in terms of how we're relating to the environment. So we're at this bottleneck right now. And, you know, we could choose to turn things around and implement technologies that are harmonious. Absolutely, I think the science is there. I just watched a documentary on it a week or two ago about a gentleman named Michael Smith who has developed what's called, I think, the uh, green powerhouse. I mean, he's got a way where he's taking and making biochar and then taking the the, in feeding into algae and then taking the methane production and using that to fuel the biochar—it's like he's got a closed-loop system. Um, and people have the science is there. We can probably do this. We're just lacking the political will at this point to really fully bring these technologies to fruition. Mm-hmm. So, I sure hope so. Is the <laughs> <laughs> is the we short answer too. to that question? Yeah. yeah.
1: So as we close, um, I have one last question for you. Sure. So um, as parents, most of what we do and a big part of our why and what we do is our children and trying to uh, model for them um, habits and things like that, that they can instill in their life. So with you and your daughter, Mm -hmm. if you could have that one thing that she could really grasp about the power of her vital force, like how would you explain that to her? And what is that one thing that you really want her to understand about herself?
2: Yeah, I know exactly what I'm going to say to that question. It's so easy and so simple for me. It's just being in nature. That's it. Mm. We've got so many. We got a generation of kids that are plugged in. Um, We're very fortunate. We're in a position where we can homeschool, and we live on the edge of a of a beautiful forested area. And we get out there every chance that we get. Um, We go out looking for mushrooms, and we go out looking for you know whatever's flowering right now. to me, the, the I don't, I don't. Sometimes I, I don't know what the question is, but the answer is always nature. And getting mm. back to it, um, and so for me, it's if I could instill within my daughter a reverence for nature, I think all good things will spring from that. And so, um, you know, we limit her screen time. It's not like we can completely avoid technology because we have grandparents in different states. And it's been a it's been a boon this year to be able to have her go on Facetime and talk with her grandparents. It really it really has been. But at the same time, we have to really just keep a, a balance point to say mm-hmm. that um, be out in the garden, be barefoot in the garden, go out in the woods. Listen to the birds, um, feel the trees, do all those things because those are the things that make life worth living, and enliven our spirits again. So, that's what I would say. Let's just get back out yeah. in nature, wherever, yeah, whatever that looks answer. like for you.
1: Yeah, hmm. thank you. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, we want to make sure that people can get a chance to access all your information. You've got so much amazing resources, or so many amazing resources on your on your blog, uh, in the book. Um, Can you just direct people how they can follow you maybe on social media and and get access to all all that information?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, Basically, the parent website for all of my author-related activities is just my name.com. So brandonlagreca.com, which is L-A-G-R-E-C-A.com. Or if you just want to jump right to my blog and kind of read whatever I'm thinking about these days, that's just empoweredpatientblog.com. There'll be links to the book and everything else there. So you can just kind of go and you can join my newsletter and keep up with what I'm doing. I'm kind of releasing little Snip, little snippets from my next book right now which is on cancer and stress so if you're on my mm. newsletter you'll get little passages to read and things so yep and the
0: and the blog's great by the way i mean you you bring up some really provoking discussions that are extremely important so Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah thanks thanks for all the work that you do
2: and and you both as well being in the world doing your work so grateful to have spoken with you yeah Thank appreciate you